0: All right, so any you guys got your Christmas decorations this weekend? Right? Everybody's kind of doing the same thing. So I uh, got out the manger scene, and um, I was thinking about—I'm going to start off with this verse in Luke. I'm just going to read it. We're going to start in Ruth. but uh, It says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So we all put up these manger scenes, and it's a picture of what happened there in Bethlehem. And it says that Joseph went down there because he was of the house and the lineage of David. And today, here in Ruth, we're going to look at David's beginning and his great-great-grandmother and his great-grandmother, Naomi and Ruth, and how uh, those two things sort of tie together. So uh, I'm going to try to do the entire book. It's four chapters. I'm going to skip a couple verses here and there. But if I had four weeks, I would break it down and slow down. And, uh, but this is a one-shot deal. So I hope you guys are ready to read and to get into this. And uh, we're going to look and hopefully be encouraged by some of the things the Lord did in the life of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. Uh, and just this encouraging scene. So chapter 1, verse 1 says, Now it came to pass... In the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. And then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived survived her two sons and her husband. And then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Now, that's a pretty intense six verses, right? That's ten years, some serious tragedy. Uh, It doesn't give us a ton of details other than the fact that it says Elimelech left when there was a famine. And it doesn't seem like the change of scenery helped out in any great degree. So it's hard to run from our problems. Uh, It says Elimelech left, but he ends up passing away there. And it seems to be a step in the wrong direction. But what I love here is in verse 6, it says, and you can imagine Naomi here in this situation. I mean, that's traumatic to lose your husband, your sons. No doubt she's struggling mentally and spiritually. But it says here that she rose that she might return. And that was probably all she could do at this point, right, is just say, i got to go back. I need to get back. And as we've been looking at in Revelation At the end of each one of those churches, as Pastor Joe's been looking at it, it says, Blessed are the overcomers, for they will, and then each church kind of has a different promise. And that's really the picture here of Naomi, is she overcame. Think about all the things that she had to overcome here. But she gets up and basically does about the only thing she can do at this point, just says, I'm going to go back. I need to go back. She doesn't give up. She just starts moving. And sometimes... That's about all we can do, but it's good enough. Now, verse 7 says, Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each one to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me. The Lord grant to you that you may find rest each in the house of her husband and and she kissed them and lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. Now, it's this interesting conversation here where Ruth or Naomi is saying to Ruth and Orpah, Look, it's better off for you guys as young widows just to go back to your homes. The chances of you finding husbands and finding safety and security within your own homes and your own communities is going to be far greater These girls had never been, it seems, to the nation of Israel. And I wonder, just at the beginning here, what was it? We're going to see Ruth makes a pretty bold choice here to go with Naomi. What was it that Ruth had seen in Naomi that affected her that much? Uh, Because this is a major point in Ruth's life, where she's going to turn away from what seems to be the easier path, turn away from what's familiar, and follow Naomi, who, at least at this moment, is struggling Uh, under the weight of all the things that are happening. So Naomi tries to continue to to dissuade them, saying, even if I were to have a husband tonight and have children, it's too long. Uh, Look down at verse 14. And they lifted up their voices, and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Now, I just want you to notice one thing. Both girls had the same emotions. But only one girl actually did something. And there's a difference between feeling something and actually doing something. And Ruth here, the reason that we're still reading about her is because this was decision time, and sometimes in our relationship with the Lord, it just comes down to doing. Right? They both felt had the same feelings, but Ruth actually comes and does it, and it really is a stark picture between her old life and her new life, and the fact that she was now going to walk by faith before she could see how this was going to work out. Now we love the story of Ruth, we love the book because we we know how it ends. She knows nothing at this point. All she knows is that she wants to return with her mother-in-law. And now in verse sixteen, um, if you haven't ever. Come to these verses. These are just, they're beautiful. It says, But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, or to turn back from following after you, for wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking or stopped trying to convince her to not go, which is pretty remarkable. So Ruth here shows us just this incredible character, incredible virtue, um, just pretty remarkable. There's an interesting story about uh, World War II, where actually this verse was quoted. uh, In the early 1941, we sent one of our... um, Guys over there, and Winston Churchill was basically just holding on. The British were just getting pounded by the Germans. And Roosevelt sent his chief negotiator over there to just see what was going on. And, the, and Churchill was literally like holding it together almost single handedly. And they said they came to a speech the first night he got there, and the American stood up and he said, You're probably all wondering what I'm going to say to the president when I get back. And he said, I just want to leave you with one verse. And he says this, For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge, and your people shall be my people. And it said Churchill began to weep. And he said it was like a rope being thrown to a drowning man. So pretty remarkable uh, in this scene how this was used. But in this case with Ruth, uh, she shows us just an incredible amount of faith. Because Naomi at this point is struggling. We're going to see that right here in verse 19. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened that when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, but call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So obviously Naomi's struggling, trying to put a context around all that's happened. But one of the guys that I read said something interesting. If she was truly bitter to that point, she would have just kept going. She, wouldn't, she would have never have come back. So she's struggling, but she came back. And sometimes that's about all we can do, really. Sometimes when there's things in life that are very difficult, we feel like all we can do is just return. But in this case, that's enough because the Lord has a plan to use Ruth now in Naomi's life in a pretty remarkable way. And Naomi, for the rest of the book, is going to rediscover the things that she knows about God. And some of us have done that, haven't we, in the last seven or eight months? We've rediscovered some of the things that we knew, but we had either forgotten or sort of shelved. And when our lives get sort of upended a little bit, we sort of rediscover some of these things. So that's what's going to happen here. And we're going to see God's hand intervene. So look at chapter 2, verse 1. Now there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. So now the story takes the next chapter, as it were. And I love the fact that Na- that. Uh, Ruth decides to just go out, right? When you don't know what's going on and things are upended a little bit, you can almost have a tendency to just get bogged down. Pastor Joe calls it the paralysis of analysis, right? But she doesn't do that. She's like, well, the only thing I really could do is go to the field and at least we can get some food and I can glean. Because the way they had it set up in ancient Israel is that a farmer was to harvest and glean his field, but he was to leave the corners and the sides For anybody that was poor. So it actually had two pretty good effects. Number one, it was sort of a check on the greed of the farmer, right? You don't need every last stalk of grain. And it allowed them to be generous. And it also allowed people that were poor to be dignified and actually going and working with their hands and gathering what they needed. So it was a good deal in both ways. And here it says, in in my Bible in verse 3, I underlined the word happened. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, these aren't like big ranches with big signs of who lives there. These are just fields out in the desert that they carved out. So Ruth does not know where she is or who these fields belong to. But she doesn't sit around and wait to be served. She doesn't sit around and not do anything. Uh, Instead... As Pastor Chuck used to say, God begins to work very supernaturally, but in very natural ways. Bruce says, the only thing I can really do is go out and at least I can get us some food. And says so she happens to end up in the field that belongs to Boaz, who we're going to see here has a couple other interesting coincidences. Uh, but God begins to lead her as she walks. God begins to lead her as she walks. So look at verse 4. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Now, by the way, this wasn't a particularly strong spiritual time, but it does seem that Boaz particularly is a very godly, very pious man. And Boaz said to his servants, to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So he notices that someone new is there. So the servant who was in charge of the reapers, answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go and glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by... My young women, let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face and bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Now, this is cool. In verse 11, we're going to see what it was that attracted Boaz's attention and his kindness, Uh, and it wasn't just a a physical attraction. Verse 11 says, And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward given to you by the Lord God of Israel, Notice this, under whose wings you have come for refuge. So Boaz understood, uh, at least to a degree, the amount that it took for Ruth to leave her family and her customs and everything else and come to be with Naomi. And I love the fact here, it says, that you have come under the God of Israel for refuge. That's remarkable. So Boaz here, verse 13, says, And she said... This is now Ruth. She said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the vinegar. I'm sorry, eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. She's going to save some for Naomi. And when she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And I have verse 16 highlighted and underlined in my Bible as well. And let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So we would call that extravagant generosity. And again, this is not simply because it's a a physical attraction. Boaz is trying to bless Ruth because of what he has seen, the virtue that he has seen in her. But he says here uh, to the guys, as they're gathering uh, the barley, let some accidentally, when you get in front of Ruth, let some accidentally spill out and just happen to be basically in the path as she's walking there, which is You wonder what the look on the guys' faces were when he told them that. They probably rolled their eyes a little bit. Uh, But it says here that Boaz basically just says, hook her up. Like, make sure she can find everything that she needs. And as I was thinking about this, and, um, you know, there's been times in my life where I've looked back and I've just seen God's extravagant kindness in the same way in my life. And I hope you can think of those times too, because there certainly are some difficult times. There's some times where we really have to walk by faith, not understanding, but there's some other times where God is just, you just look back and say, Lord, I'm not, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve this, but you have been gracious to me. I was thinking about the time when my wife and I were first uh, getting engaged. i had blown out my knee playing basketball, and I had to get my ACL redone, so I had this big brace on my knee, and I couldn't work for about six weeks. And at that same time, my wife and I were nearing the point where, uh, in fact, I sat down with her dad and her mom and said, "You know, this is what we're thinking, we'd like to get married, uh, but I have no money, I'm, at, I'm out of work till I get my knee fixed, and this whole thing, right, so how am I going to get a ring, how am I going to figure this out? So after the conversation, my mother-in-law the next day calls me and says, uh, we've had this diamond in the family for a while, it was, it was your wife's, gran- or Kristen's grandmother's, and we would like you to have it. And at the same time, my, my mom called me that night, and she said, we're so excited, we've been praying, we want to help you guys, so if you can find a diamond, we'll buy this, the ring and the setting uh, to try to help you guys out. And I hadn't explained to her the other part yet. Uh, so there was a guy here from church who was a jeweler, so I went to him, and uh, I said, you know, can you make this work? And he said, sure. And so like four or five days later, I go to his office, and I pick up this ring, and it was one of those moments where you're just like, Wow, Lord, this is crazy. Like, there's been moments in my life where I've tried to strive to make something happen. And and then there's other times where you're just like, wow, Lord, you just totally plopped this gorgeous engagement ring in my lap. I'm totally not worthy. So there's those times there, hopefully in our life, where we can look back and see, man, the Lord was so gracious, so loving, extravagantly uh, beyond. So it says here now, look at verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epa of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, so she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And most of the guys I was reading say this comes out to probably about 30 pounds worth of barley. So this is pretty remarkable. Now, Naomi, to this point, right, has been struggling borderline depressed, going through a very difficult time. And now notice here, when hope enters into the scene, the change that it makes. Pastor Mike last week was talking about hope and the believer's hope. Now look at this in verse 19. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and she said, The man's name with whom I work today was Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be the Lord. Isn't it interesting? Look at how she perks up. All of a sudden her faith is engaged. And she says, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relative of ours, one of our close relatives. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not, do not meet you in the other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. So very interesting here, we're going to see that God rewards people who seek after him. God rewards Ruth. She goes out with some energy and faith, and God rewards her. God's going to reward Boaz. Now, Boaz is in an interesting position here because Ruth is a Moabitess, and in the law it said a Moabitess should not be allowed into the the company of Israel up to the tenth generation. But Boaz, no doubt, is thinking, but she left her gods, and she's come under the God of Israel for protection. So isn't she more like a widow and someone who's poor, who needs to be cared for, rather than a Moabitess who shouldn't be let in, right? So he's probably got this theological thing going on. He's seeking the Lord, wanting to do what's right. And Naomi here, though she had barely any energy left to seek the Lord, the Lord blesses her and breathe life back into her. There's that verse in Isaiah that says, even a smoking flax the Lord will not quench. Uh, and sometimes God puts other people in our lives in order to do that. In this case, uh, Ruth went out and really was a person key in Naomi's life here to help her to um, kind of get by this. I have a friend of mine down in Texas, and I just hung out with him this week a little bit. And just a regular guy, He drives a truck for a living, but he is an incredible witness for the Lord. Everywhere he goes, he's passing out Bibles. He's just doing these crazy things for the Lord, seeking after him. And I was so encouraged after just hanging out with him for a day, for an afternoon. I thought, this guy is incredible. And I was so just filled up and blessed because he was just filled with the Spirit. So hopefully we have those people in our life or those times in our lives where we can uh, receive that, and then hopefully there's times where we're filled with the Spirit, and we can be that for other people. So, chapter 3 now continues. Now, here's the deal. We're going to see God's sovereignty. In other words, God's all over this story. He's putting it together. And I want to remind you of this, that when we, people that believe in the sovereignty of God, when we properly believe that, it gives us hope. And it should give us confidence to move forward. So when we understand God's sovereignty, it should give us hope and confidence to move forward. And in our day, just like it is in this day now, we, we know the story of Ruth. We know how this is going to end. So it, the suspense has sort of taken it out for us. But do we see the sovereignty of God right now in our world? We see a lot of upheaval, right? So I can only imagine. Now, If we were to talk to Ruth at the end of chapter 2, she doesn't know the whole story. She certainly doesn't know how generations from now she's going to be the great-grandmother of David, who's going to be the great-grandfather of the Messiah. She doesn't know that because she's right in the middle of it. We right now are in the midst of an incredibly tumultuous time in the world, not just in our country, in the world. And instead of wondering, what's this politician going to do, or what's this government about, or what's going to happen here Rather, we should be thinking, what is the Lord trying to do? He's up, he is turning over entire nations and peoples and has created this situation where everybody is sort of looking around saying, what is going on? So, no doubt, either in heaven or 20 years from now, we'll look back and we will see the sovereignty of God. But the same sovereignty that puts this whole scene together. Is absolutely true right now. So we should have faith and confidence and hope to just move forward. Just keep going. The same God that led Ruth into the field of Boaz is the same God that's going to lead us through whatever's going to happen next, whatever is going to come our way. Everybody keeps saying, I can't wait till 2020 is over. I don't know about that. All I know is the Lord's the same, He's going to be the same in 2021. Uh, I don't want to be a doomsdayer. Let's just trust the Lord, recognize his sovereignty, and we might get raptured before 2021. So who knows? So God is still in control. We want to have hope and confidence. Now, chapter 3 says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now, Boaz, whose young, men, whose young women you are with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself and put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he had finished eating and drinking. And it shall be that when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor, and it did according to all that her mother-in-law had instructed her. Now, strange scene uh, for us in our culture, but here are a couple things that are going on. Number one is we are going to be introduced to this idea of a redeemer. In the nation of Israel at this time, if something had happened to uh, a husband and there was a widow, there would be a family redeemer who, in this case, would buy back uh, a field so that that family uh, did not become destitute. So in other words, a husband died and some big land shark comes in and starts buying up all the properties of all the widows. Instead, they made a law so that other family members could come in and purchase that property in order to provide for the family. And in some cases, if the widow was still young enough, they would marry that woman and raise up an offspring for the name of that family to continue. So that's what we're heading into. Uh, And Naomi now is going to say to Ruth, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and basically ask Boaz to be your redeemer. Again, seems like a bit of a strong a strange scene, and having two teenage daughters myself, I don't want Pastor Joe to hear of a bunch of girls asking their boyfriends to marry them. That's not what this scene is about, okay? It's bold, but it's not wrong what she's about to do. So she goes down uh, to the threshing floor, it says, let's pick it up in verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly, uncovering his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turning himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. So here's what Ruth did. She came in and she lay down at his feet, and she basically pulled the blanket up a little bit, Knowing that that will make his feet cold. And at some point during the night, he's going to wake up. Right? Now, I know some couples have had this experience themselves where you wake up and you roll over and you're like, wait a second, I had the blanket on 10 minutes ago. What's going on here? So that's what happens. Boaz wakes up and he's cold. He's like, my feet are cold. He looks down and there's a woman there. Now, this, is, this has nothing to do with seduction, but it has something to do with submission. Ruth is completely submitting herself to Boaz, asking him to take care of her. Nothing to do with seduction. And she, she lays down. So it happens at midnight that the man was startled and turned, to him, turned himself. And there was a woman lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear, for I will do all, uh, all for you that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it's true that I am a close relative, however, there is a relative that is closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. Even though Boaz didn't really believe that. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down here until morning. So she laid his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then she said, Do not let it be known That the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring your shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her, and she went into the city. And when she came to her mother in law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she said to her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, Do not go empty handed back to your mother in law. I think Boaz understood where this idea originally had come from. And I think Naomi trusted Boaz enough to know that he wouldn't take advantage of the situation, that he was going to do the right thing, and she wasn't putting Ruth in danger of that. Now, what I find interesting is, in this story up to this point, Boaz had definitely initiated in trying to care for Ruth, for being kind to Ruth. But in a sense, because of the position he was in, Uh, he couldn't just go in and say, I'm going to marry you, and I'm going to provide for you. In a way, it had kind of come to a head, and it had to be Ruth to now finally make the request to say, "I I would like you to do this for me. And it is an interesting, I don't know about you guys, how you got saved, but at some point, most of us knew about the Lord, we knew the gospel, we had started to understand that God loved us, but at some point, we had to come to him in a little bit of an awkward moment, and say, Lord, I want you to forgive me. I want you to come into my heart and to make me yours and to, to enter into eternity with you. And I see in this scene a little bit of that, that Ruth came to Boaz because it had kind of come to a standstill. Uh, but Ruth, uh, in a something that was bold but not inappropriate, uh, comes to Boaz and makes this request. So, look at verse 18. So, Naomi says, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Now, Boaz went up from the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So, Boaz said, Come aside, friend. Sit here. So, he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, then redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know for there is no one but you to redeem it and I am next after you and he said I will redeem it. Now I'm just curious if Ruth and Naomi were within like listening distance to hear this back and forth. I'm curious. I don't know. It'd be interesting to watch when we get to heaven. Uh, but Boaz plays a cool. If if they were listening, they would have been stressed out a little bit at this moment because the guy's like, "Sure. Another field go definitely. Then Boaz says, But on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, um, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And it's more like, I don't want to redeem it. So here's what's going on. In Boaz is very wise and he basically says it's a package deal. <laughs> you get the field and you get Ruth, but they both come together and because Ruth was young, the idea is you then would try to have children and raise up an heir for this field. So the guy would buy the field, have a, a son with Ruth, but then he would get that inheritance. So basically his inheritance would be divided even more, uh, and it would be Ruth's son then that would get the inheritance. So, I don't know all that's going on in the scene, but I know that enough to know, he says, thanks but no thanks, and Boaz no doubt uh, had a plan this whole time. So, uh, so look at verse 7. It says, now this was the custom. Actually, let me just skip ahead here. So, to solidify the agreement that he's definitely turning it down, Boaz says, okay, take your sandal off, and everybody will recognize that you are giving up your right, and I am taking the right. And verse 9 says, And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witness this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead, through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from among his position at the gate. You You are witness this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. Now look down at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. And also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. Obed is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So, pretty remarkable scene. The first man was interested in the field, but not in the bride. Boaz was interested in the bride not in the field. And in that, we see the heart of God, that the whole purpose of earth is just simply a stage for redemption, that God cares about people and souls, not about property and things. And what's interesting to me is Ruth had given up her best chance at safety and security and remarriage when she left Moab, totally by faith, uh, she would have been much safer logically and in a worldly wisdom type of sense to stay in Moab amongst her people. But instead, she stepped out in faith, followed Naomi, and look what happens. It so says she ends up marrying Boaz. The Lord blesses her with a son whose name is Obed, who has a son named Jesse. So Ruth becomes the great-grandmother of the most famous king in Israel, and ultimately then... Uh, We have the seat of David that the Messiah ultimately comes on the scene, as we read it there at the beginning in Luke. So pretty remarkable But what God can do through one woman just going back. And sometimes that's all we can do is just keep going, just go back, just get back on track. But the Lord loves to reward those who seek after him. Uh, And the Lord is faithful to love and care and guide for us. And therefore, we should be about his business, right? We see God's sovereignty. We see his provision here. And the Lord is the same with us. God protects us and provides for us. He guides our lives. uh, And we should receive that grace. And we should then respond, right? None of us have initiated anything. We, this morning, sit here as recipients of God's grace. And the only two responses to that would be obedience and faith and maybe add in having grace towards other people. Because, you know, when someone is truly gracious to you, you just have that feeling of, man, I'm not worthy of this. We all have that feeling. And we all then can then be gracious to other people. So I just want to encourage you in this time. We see God's sovereignty. God is still sovereign today. What's he doing? We'll know soon enough. We'll either know in heaven or we'll see it. But God's up to something. So have hope. Have confidence. Don't give up. Uh, And if you're a little fried, then just do something. Just come back, just stay in the game, and you're going to see God's faithfulness. And if you're doing good, then seek out those you can encourage and bless and strengthen uh, in this time. So why don't we stand, we'll pray, and uh, we'll sing a last song. Father, well, you see every heart in this room, Lord, you know every story, just like you knew the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, Lord, you know every story here this morning, Lord, and you know those who are full and those who are struggling, and Lord, we just lift up this praise to you, Lord, uh, with hearts full of gratitude, full of wonder, uh, Lord, but that's our, our response to your sovereignty, Lord, we love you. And, Lord, we do just commit this season of life that we're in, Lord. We want to have confidence and hope, Lord. We don't want to be fearful. Uh, So, Lord, please just bless and strengthen, and we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.